open prayer and center ourselves this morning. Gracious God, we have come here to soak in what it is you have to say to us this morning. Speak to us and challenge, convict us, guide us. Let us hear your presence in the midst of our busy and chaotic lives. And today we learned from something from this number on the Enneagram. And for the biblical characters that we're talking about today. Lord, pour into the words that I have to say. Let them be acceptable and pleasing to you. And the people of God said together, Amen. Even when they're not in here, they're still as loud as when they're in here. I encourage you to follow along with the Version Bible event. And you can see all the notes there, both here in the sanctuary and at home. Just last week, we were celebrating the coming of the Magi to see the child who had been born, the King of the Jews. It's hard to believe it was just then. Those fives from across the world. And now, just one week later, we flash forward 30 years to this young man who now comes to his cousin John to be baptized. Remember, Elizabeth and Zechariah, this is their son, John. And Jesus stands in the Jordan River about to be baptized. Maybe he's thinking about the day the wise men brought their gifts as his true gift is about to be revealed. Maybe his parents told him that story. And as I do every year and we gather together today to remember and reaffirm our baptism. Once a year, most United Methodists have a service of baptismal renewal like this one. Sometimes we forget how important that moment was in our lives, especially if it was a long time ago. Do you remember what it was like? What it felt like? Dissipation? The life change? The hope of a new beginning? When you promise to give your whole life to Christ, not just the parts on the side... When you confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. The time when you said it was time to change. That it's time to go a different direction. Maybe you haven't had that moment yet. That's okay. But you realize that my life has to change. That I have to become me and fully who God created me to be. The Enneagram is one of those paths as a way to do that. And if you weren't here last week, you're going to have to catch up on those pieces of it. But safe to say, it's a spiritual way of looking at our lives and, and giving ourselves a type that enables us to be able to understand ourselves better and how God created us to be. Baptism, as the start of our journey to becoming us, leads us in a life on the road of discovery and rediscovering who we were created to be and our God-given gifts. Then activating those gifts through the Holy Spirit and understanding how the gifts are interrelated in our relationships with other disciples in the body of Christ. See, the coming of the wise men revealed to the world a Messiah for all, but the coming of Jesus to the Jordan to be baptized revealed to the world that he was indeed the Son of God. In our baptism, 
reveals to us that God wanted to claim us as one of his very own and cleanse us so that we could begin a new life. There's a great quote that says, Baptism points back to the work of God and forward to the life of faith. Baptism points back to the work of God and forward to the life of faith. The scripture for today begins in Luke 3, verses 15. And it says, As the people were filled with expectation. People in Israel were waiting for a Messiah. A king who would right the wrongs of their current reality and restore Israel. And many were gathering to be baptized by John in expectation that soon something would be happening. That the Messiah would soon come. The last part of that verse, and everyone wondered whether John might be the Christ. The people gathering were questioning whether or not John the Baptist was the Messiah. John could have easily said that he was, and they would have believed him. John was a straightforward, even aggressive leader who cared intensely about justice. He was unafraid of standing up to others for the sake of a greater cause. His challenge was to be careful to keep his ambition in check and use his strength as he did for the good of others and not solely for himself. But remember, this is John, Elizabeth, Zachariah's son. The one we talked about a couple of weeks ago who leapt in his mother's womb when Mary, the mother of God, touched him. John knew his purpose. What greater thing he was called to do in the world. John the Baptist was a model disciple. Why? Because he always points to Jesus and acknowledges Jesus' power. And so in verse 16, John replied to them all, pointing to Jesus, obviously, I baptize you with water, but the one who is more powerful than me is coming. I'm not worthy to loosen the straps of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So how does John the the Baptist characterize the ministry of the one coming after him? More powerful than himself. And one of judgment and fire. John was a challenger. And that's our Enneagram type for today. The type 8, the leader, or the boss. That's a really positive title, isn't it? Everybody loves the boss, don't they? (laughs) Sometimes type 8s get a bad rap. They might be treated more unfairly than any other type on the Enneagram when others are trying to explain them for the first time. People seem more judgmental and harsher towards 8s than they are empathetic and caring. Maybe it's because they don't understand them fully. Who understood John the Baptist? Most of us don't. But it's unfair to paint an eight as an overly hostile and aggressive and mean. Any Enneagram type can be hostile or aggressive or mean or angry or bitter, not just eights. And often the anger and the aggression of an eight comes from a holier place. 
than the other types. Let me explain. Eights are commonly known as the challenger. They have a deep-seated need to be against. They do tend to be more outwardly aggressive, but more often than not, their anger and hostility is directed towards those whom they perceive to be the oppressors, the bullies, the rule breakers. Eights are in the corner of the underdog. When they see injustice of any sort, their anger boils over and the mama bear comes out in them towards that injustice. When eights are unhealthy, though, that's when they revert to self-preservation and survival mode. One of the things that we will begin to talk about more and more is, is how you go to a bad place or how do you go to a good place. In this case, eights go to a five in the lower forms of a five, which are those things. They fear betrayal, vulnerability. They try at all costs to avoid appearing weak. But when they're healthy, then they go to the place of a two, the helper, and those good characteristics of the two. They realize that vulnerability is a strength, not a weakness. They become more concerned with the safety and protection of others and will fight to the death to save them. Many folks think that Martin Luther King Jr. and Mother Teresa were healthy eights. Most eights, when they were children, picked up on the message that only the tough and the strong survive. If you show any physical or emotional weakness, you'll get eaten alive. And so they developed a rock-hard exterior wall, making themselves look and act tougher than they really are. They had to grow up fast. And most of them can remember that moment when they could no longer be the carefree, naive little kid anymore. They had to toughen up or face the consequences of life. That's why AIDS make such good social workers, civil rights activists, therapists, lawyers, humanitarians. Beneath that hardened exterior is a soft heart that feels deeply for the needs of the weak and the helpless, and the vulnerable, and the oppressed. But that protective wall can also be a real barrier to intimate relationships. Eights have a hard time letting people into their inner circle of trust. And they will often do everything within their power to test you and push you. And if you stick around through all of it, then you're in. But the moment they suspect betrayal or abandonment is coming, then you're out. You can see eight all over John the Baptist. It is to this eight that Jesus comes to be baptized in the desert. Baptism is a sacrament, a mysterion. That's literally the word which literally means mystery. That God continues to help unravel question by question in my life and in yours. What I've learned over the years is that God was always there and always will be there for me. Amen? For you too. John knew that too. That's why he was so bold and a challenger of the religion of his day. In the Wesleyan tradition, we call this pervenient grace, a grace that goes and comes before us and knows us before we were even knitted in our mother's womb. That's why we baptize infants and children in the United Methodist Church. 
Because God's gift of grace is always present in our lives even before we can speak for ourselves. And just so we clear, this is a once a year reminder that when we baptize an infant, that child is not taking the vows of being a Christian, but it is also not a dedication or a christening. Those are not words that we use in the United Methodist Church. They are not baptism. What we do is baptism. My daughter Hannah, who's not here in her mother's house today, was baptized when she was an infant. There she is. So small. She was not baptized again during confirmation. We remembered her baptism like the other confirmands who were baptized as infants. And those of us who have been previously baptized with water will remember that baptism today. We won't redo that. And yes, even as she said to me, Dad, I don't remember my baptism, that doesn't mean that God doesn't or that we need to in order to understand the power of baptism. Do you remember your baptism that much? I was 21. I don't remember hardly anything from my baptism this far down the line. You probably don't either, even though you might pretend to. Nor does the amount of water used at baptism matter, since it's not the water that saves us. What I usually say, not the amount of the shower that's the power. It doesn't matter how much water is used. You are no more saved by being immersed than you are by being sprinkled or in pouring. And if we were not baptized as children, it does not mean that God's grace was not present with us. A loving God is constantly reaching out, wanting to be at the center of our lives. And although we might still have questions all the way into adulthood, we are directed to Jesus just as John directed those gathered who were seeking a Messiah. Because John knew that he was not the Messiah. And at some point, each of us usually craves more. A deeper understanding of life and our purpose in it. Sometimes we feel God calling and we feel a deep need to respond. It is different for each of us. Just like God created each of us differently that we're learning through these numbers. For some, there is a distinct moment we can recall to and point to. For others, it might be a series of moments over time drawing us closer and closer to God. But whatever it is and whenever it is, no matter what age or stage, God's grace and love is available to all. And it's God's gift offered to us without price. And in those moments, water becomes a powerful symbol. We do so much with water. Too much of it can drown us. Too little of it can cause a drought. We use it to cook with, to clean ourselves up, to wash our clothes. Ask the millions of people around the world without access to clean water what water really means to them. Water brings life. It is not the water that saves us and brings us new life. Baptism is not what saves you. Baptism is the entrance into the community of the church. An outward confession of an inward change. It is the hearts and lips confessing and saying yes to God's grace. To be claimed and cleansed by God. The water connects to new life, to forgiveness. When we mess it up and we make mistakes, to wash us whiter than snow. 
As adults, baptized, baptism can be a moment when we clearly are telling God or told God, I belong to you. I trust you with my whole life. Jesus showed by being baptized that he was dedicating his whole life to following God's will. A moment when we hear a small voice of God saying, as Jesus heard, I love you. You are my son. You are my daughter. I will love you forever. And sometimes during this moment, a different feeling flows through us. That's grace. That's God's spirit. That's love. And from the moment on, we are forever changed, placed on a path following Jesus. Maybe that's what it felt like for all those being baptized in the Jordan that day. Verse 21, when everyone was being baptized, Jesus was also baptized. You might say, well, I'm too old to be baptized. I missed my chance. It would be embarrassing. But when Jesus was an adult... He was baptized with many people by John in the Jordan River. And he was the son of God. So there is that. You could probably still get baptized as an adult. It'd probably be okay if the son of God did it. And John the Baptist was unafraid of standing up to others for the sake of a greater cause. And John served the greatest cause ever. He would say, there goes the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. When two of Jesus' disciples were asking who he was. You see, eights are commanding. They're intense. They're confrontational. Act now, apologize later is an eights motto. They fight for justice and advocate for the powerless. But they also struggle to admit weakness. They can domineer over people. And their greatest fear is vulnerability. And like every one of the numbers, they have a vice. And their vice is lust. Not necessarily how you think about it. You have to go deeper to understand that. Exactly the kind of things that we deal with in all of these things. And we all deal with all of these particular sins. But when it comes to lust, another prime example of an eight is Samson. Remember the story of Samson way back? Samson's birth was prophesied by an angel, but Samson would be different as a Nazarite for the rest of his life. No haircuts, no alcohol or wine, no contact with dead bodies, you know, normal kid stuff. Which is exactly what John the Baptist was doing. Out in the wilderness as well. He had taken a Nazarite vow. And as long as Samson observed the regulations of the Nazarite, then God would bless him with power. Samson is the literal embodiment of strength. But he was also too strong for his own good. Do you hear that, eight? He threw his weight around and strong-armed his way, leaving relationships in his public life, leaving a trail of destruction in his wake. There was a lot of collateral damage from his unhealthy anger and aggression. But Samson made the transition from fighting for himself to sacrificing himself in order to protect and deliver his people. That is the power of an eight. Miriam, the sister of Moses, 
is another example of an eight. We give eights a hard time. We may not understand their attraction to conflict and arguments and aggression and intimidation, but the fact is that eights are world changers. If we live in a world with a pressing problem, we don't want a bunch of nines, the peacemakers, or sevens, the individualists, or fours, the romantics, working on it. You want an eight. We need our eights to come in, shake things up, hash out the arguments, and get stuff done. Sometimes the boat needs to be rocked. Sometimes the status quo needs to be thrown out. Eights embody the strength of God, which says in Exodus 14, 14, the Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. But they also need to hear this in their fear of being harmed or controlled by others. Type eights need to remember God is ultimately in control. And that we hear these words from Isaiah 52, 12, for all of us. The Lord will go before you. The God of Israel will be your rear guard. And the invitation to eights and to all of us who think we need to be in control. I invite you to be free from the fear of being unprotected and vulnerable. I will guard you with my love. Let go of the false idea you must stand your ground and have your way to maintain control over your life. These are the struggles of eights. They are the questions we ask ourselves. Do you have to be in control? When does God take over? When do you live for something higher than yourself? What are you willing to fight for? And be unafraid to take on. What challenge do you need to face in your life? That's what eights can teach us. Are you an eight? Got any eights in the room willing to admit that they're an eight? Dana's an eight. Who else is an eight? Dan's an eight. James thinks he's an eight. Wayne thinks he's an eight. You're really paying attention today, weren't you? All right. Yeah, there's a lot to be learned from eights. I hope that each week you continue to to look at what's your number. And that from each one of the numbers we can learn something. And all of us have both strengths and fears and vices. And maybe we can learn from John and Samson. And read the story of Miriam. And think about what it means to be a challenger in this world as John was. Amen. So I invite you that as we go into this time of remembering our baptism, to turn to page 50 in your hymnals. We'll be skipping through different parts of it, so just kind of hang loose as we walk through this together. And as the bulletin talks about that if that's not where you're at, then just sit back and enjoy the parts of the ritual that are meaningful for you. We're remembering our baptism when God claimed us as sons and daughters in our lifelong covenant. If you've not been baptized, you're fully welcome here. 
Enjoy the ritual. Be among us in peace. Feel free not to say the words that may not yet apply to you. If you'd like to know more about the life of discipleship and about being part of the baptismal covenant, speak to me today. When you come up here and we all kneel and, and remember our baptisms or just come forward, then you can lift a hand and I can actually baptize you right now. All the words you'll be saying today are exactly the words that we all say before we take the vows of becoming a Christian. We're just reaffirming them. But they're exactly the same words that we would ask when we baptize someone. Brothers and sisters in Christ, through the sacrament of baptism, we are initiated into Christ's holy church. We are incorporated into God's mighty acts of salvation, given new birth through water and the Spirit. All of this is God's gift offered to us without price. Through this reaffirmation of our faith, we renew the covenant declared at our baptism, acknowledging what God is doing for us, and affirm our commitment to Christ's holy church. On behalf of the whole church, I ask you, do you renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness, reject the evil powers of this world, and repent of your sin? If you do, say, I do. Do you accept the freedom and power God gives you to resist evil, injustice, and oppression? There's your eights. In whatever form they present themselves. If you do, say, I do. Do you confess Jesus Christ as your Savior, put your whole trust in His grace, and promise to serve Him as your Lord in union with the church which Christ has opened to people of all ages, nations, and races? If you do, say, I do. According to the grace given to you, will you remain faithful members of Christ's holy church and will serve as Christ's representatives in the world? If you will, say, I will. Let us join together in professing the Christian faith that's contained in the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments. Do you believe in God the Father? Do you believe in Jesus Christ? Do you believe in the Holy Spirit? The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Eternal Father, when nothing existed but chaos, you swept over the dark waters and brought forth light. In the days of Noah, you saved those on the ark through water. After the flood, you set in the clouds a rainbow. When you saw your people as slaves in Egypt, you led them to freedom through the sea. Their children you brought through the Jordan to the land which you promised. In the fullness of time, you sent Jesus nurtured in the water of a womb. He was baptized by John and anointed by your spirit. He called his disciples to share in the baptism of his death and resurrection and to make disciples of all nations. Pour out your Holy Spirit and by the gift of water call us to our remembrance the grace declared to us in our baptism. For you have washed away our sins and you clothe us with righteousness throughout our lives that dying and, being, dying and rising with Christ we may share in his final victory.
We use water to remember our baptism. And last year I forgot, but this year I remembered. Our own Barbara Jones has been to the Jordan. And she brought back some water from the Jordan last year that I may never be able to open. Barbara, is it sealed forever? Does that have a thing on it? Barbara, come help me get this open. You're in charge. Come here. Tell me how to get this. I can't figure it out. They may just need nails or something, too. Here, help me out. While she's doing that, we also have some water this year that Rick uh, Vance, Dr. Rick Vance, just went to Israel, and he brought back some holy water, too, from the Jordan River. What makes it holy? You burn the hell out of it, right? Okay, there you go. It's just water, folks. Oh, thanks. But it's symbolic. So we pour a little bit in. Remember my sermon on where this came from. From the staff dinner where I just talked about liking it and going to buy one and then she gave it as a gift. And every time, every year, I'll remember Mr. Beck. And as we go forth, what's going to happen is is that we're all going to kneel in this case in the various sections that we would normally go to and then leave by the same way. So you're coming the same way you go from communion and you would kneel, you go back. You'll go back the same ways. And as we kneel, what's going to happen is first I'm going to put the mark of remembering our baptism with the sign of the cross with water on your forehead if that's something that you want. And then uh, if you don't want that, you need to tell me. And... Uh, it's also just fine if you haven't been baptized to receive water on your forehead because it means absolutely nothing in the change of things. Then after that, our lay leader, Shelley, will be coming back, coming through with stones. And to mix it up this year, they are purple and white. Purple, the color of royalty. And uh, so you can take this stone. Many of you have these stones from previous years someplace special, and you'll be able to have those. And then right behind them... Behind us, Shelly and I, will be a communion team who will be coming through serving communion all the way through. We'll end up starting from left, my left, to right. Understand? So we'll be coming up uh, here in a second as we get ourselves ready and situated. And then we'll invite you to come up and you just go and kneel at the rail. And don't leave until I dismiss everybody all at once from each group. Let's get ourselves situated here. I bless the water. We can bless the elements too. Gracious God, we pour out on this your Holy Spirit on this bread and this juice. Make them be for us the living example and the, and the living body of Jesus Christ for us in the world and in our lives. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. People of God said together, amen. amen. Fully 100% blessed. Thank you. Now, and come up, and come up, Come up and come up. The usual way you go up for communion and come kneel at the rails.
said is remembered our baptism, perhaps you haven't done that. And that's okay, because I didn't do anything that would be any different than you putting the sign of the cross on your forehead. But I hope that if you haven't been baptized, you ask yourself those questions, or your kids ask that question, or whatever, you'll come talk to me more about what it means. You should never just do it because someone tells you to do it. It's an outward sign of an inward change in your heart. And so come talk to me. We can talk more about it. Regardless, whether you've been baptized or not, this stone is a reminder of how much God loves you. 
Baptism has no impact on that whatsoever. Keep this stone somewhere close to you, in your, in your room, in your house, on, on a bookshelf, near your prayer area, in your kitchen, wherever. And let it be a symbol of the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Prince of Peace, has come for you and for me to love us, to forgive us, and to save us. And the people of God said together, Amen. What do you got left? We're going to say it together once, maybe? Let's all stand. love. Know that love and let it pour over you and wash over you. Whatever's going on, let it be washed away. May you be clean as white as snow and may you start off with a new year with a new life. Amen.